It's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. It is a, a beautiful day here in Chicago. Looking forward to uh, the hoping uh, very mild winter. <laughs> and uh, on today's episode, we have a leader coming to you from Ohio. Excited to be able to dive into that today on his podcast episode. Michael, thank you so much for carving time out to be able to be with us today on the Virtuous Heroes podcast. The first question that I always ask guests, which is a, uh, a difficult one, <laughs> and, uh, I, I know it's it's so funny because there's so many people in the world that like if you ever I don't know if you've ever used this before, but if you ask people who they are, like it it like messes with people. Like if you do that out in public, like oh who are you? If you're like at a at a dinner party and you throw that out, like people are like they have to think about it for a second. So so I hope it's not doing the same for you. And I I love to just be able to get that overview of of who the the leader is. So yeah, Michael, who are you? It it. it gives me pause, uh, certainly when I thought about it, and I've never had someone ask me before who I am. Uh, but when I think about it, um, I'm a director and CEO of a highly regarded mid-sized Midwest fine art museum. Uh, I'm a nonprofit professional with a master's degree in leadership development. And I'm a certified fundraising professional, uh, which I uh, worked very hard to get and have to be tested every few years. Uh, I'm a board member on multiple nonprofit boards, but then I think more that most importantly, um, I hope I'm a friend and a brother, uh, a son, and my most important thing that's ever happened is I'm a father. Um, and I, you know, I take that very seriously. I always say I, I only got one chance at being a parent. I have one son and, um, it's the best thing that ever I have ever done. And, uh, he's in college and, turning into his own person. So I, I guess I've been doing something right. Awesome. That's exciting to hear. Uh, what college is he going to? He goes to Ohio State. He's studying up in economics and mathematics. Oh, wow. He did not get the mathematics from me. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. And you're the first uh, individual that uh, is leading uh, in art institute and museum. So that is so exciting. We're breaking ground here on the oh, podcast today. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad to be your first. Awesome. So Michael, how did you get to this leadership position? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So mine was not traditional. Um, so a lot of times directors come up through what's uh, a curatorial background as a curator of art with an art history degree um, and I worked in our community as a nonprofit um, in leadership, but as a, a fundraiser. And the museum had never had um, anyone that was from the community to be the director. They'd always hired from without, and they're um, from out of the area. And there were a lot of things going on at the museum. There needed to be transformational change. And I feel like the stars aligned. Um, I believe I was called to this position at the museum. Uh, and I've said that from the beginning, I had no desire to come and lead the Dayton Art Institute, but something when the, my predecessor left, I saw something on TV. And I said, I could do that job. And a couple of days later, I got a call and they said, we'd like you to do this job. 
I did an interview. They offered me the job and I still get chills because it was one of those moments where like, with someone listening to what I was saying and someone was listening to what I was saying, um, just not in invisible ways. Um, and so then, uh, but I had applied for a position prior to that and didn't get it. And so I was preparing myself. I had a mentor who said, so how are you going to learn from this? What are you going to gain? And how are you going to get to the next level of leadership that you want? And so I, um, I remember distinctly him saying, you're either going to have to leave the community or stay in the community. And if you're staying in the community, I think you have to further your education. And that's when I went 20 years after I graduated from a Bachelor of Arts, I went back and got my master's in leadership development. I was midway through that program when I got tapped to lead the museum. So it again, it felt like everything aligned. Um, and uh, I've been here now 10 years and retired a lot of debt and made a lot of change with a great team uh, working with me. So um, that's how I got here. And a lot of people, you know, there were people in the industry that didn't think I should be here. Um, and now I'm, I was one of the few 10 years ago, and now there's more and more people that are coming through different tracks to lead museums uh, and really looking at the mission uh, and the margin and how do uh, we run these organizations like a business but still provide the mission work that, that we do uh, presenting great art to our community and our history. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, it sounds like you had already kind of started to dive into the vices piece of like getting out of your comfort zone you know, sometimes we, we can get stuck into that, just like, well, things are going all right. And, and being willing to kind of sit in that versus, you know, kind of like steam rolling growth and wanting to, you know, develop ourselves. Were there any other vices that you feel like you had to overcome within your own kind of journey in order to be the leader that you are today, Michael? Well, you know, that's, it's interesting. I remember um, 25 plus years ago when I got my first promotion, um, my dad said to me, re always remain humble and have a sense of humor. And I've always tried to remember that. Um, I've tried not to be a micromanager, although I micromanage myself. I'm very detail oriented. And I know that some people aren't that way and don't um, appreciate that. So I've, I've worked on that. I, I try to hire people and empower them to do the job they were hired to do uh, and try and get as much information as I can up front. That said, I, again, being someone who micromanaged themselves, I had to let go of um, not necessarily having the same destination that someone else might have to the same place. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone, if we all have the same idea as the end goal, I may do it a little differently, but I have to allow others to get there. Now, as a leader, it's my job to make sure they stay on track, but we can do things different ways. So um, that was a, a big thing for me to step back and allow people um, to do the work that they were hired to do. And I work really fast. Um, I have a lot of my plate. I like to get things done and I'm constantly going. And I had to learn to be a little more patient um, and, and not coming off as, why do you keep asking me where we are with this? I think it's fine to do reports and I meet with my leadership team um, regularly. But in the, mid, in the middle of that, not always saying, well, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Um, again, for me, it was backing off a little bit 
Um, and I think, I don't know if those would be considered true vices, but being more patient and, and giving more leeway for people to do the work they were hired to do. Yeah, my wife and I had recently gone to a retreat where they they talked a lot about the book, The People Code by Dr. Hartman. And it, you know, I, I love it because it simplifies the way that you look at people because like, you know, you think about Myers-Briggs and the ENTJ and, you know, it's like, there's so many different combinations. Like what, what, what am I again? You know, this is just like red, yellow, uh, blue and white and, and the reds there. So each of those colors has a motivation and the reds in particular is power. And so just hearing you speak about like wanting to get things done, it's, uh, it sounds like we've got a, I'm a, also a fellow red. And, and I think, you know, you were just, what you were saying was like really ringing true for me. Cause that's actually advice that I'm actually working on presently. Like I'm just so, I can get so focused on the getting the things done that I don't slow down enough to be able to smell the flowers. And my wife is a blue and their motivation is intimacy. So wow. they're just always about the relationship. And so like, if people are like hurt, they always want to like slow things down. Like, are you okay? Like what's going on? You know? And, and so sometimes I, and it's like, I've learned that a little bit better about just being able to slow down and be like, are you okay? But she gets on me when it's like, I'm just throwing the, are you okay? To just like do the task, but not right. actually like sit in the moment with them. And um, yeah, so I could see how also like, if you're like, you know, you're just, you get really good in, in the technical aspect. And so it's easy to be able to dive into, you know, with your staff to being like, okay, I, I want, I, I can see it. I have the vision to be able to get it done. I like, I want this to be done immediately. And it's easy to be able to dive into like specifically taking that task back. And then your staff is not feeling honored in that. Um, so yeah. So thank you for sharing. I, and I, um, I look for, I'd like to read that book. <laughs> I don't know that book. So I'll, I'll have to look for that. The people code. The people code. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah. and I, we can, I can share some, share some, uh, share some information with you as well. Uh, so let's, let's talk about how are you tackling uh, social justice issues at the Dayton Art Institute? So um, social justice has been important to me my whole career. Um, and I, I was, um, connected with an organization that I became a board member with. And I always say the organization uh, gave me voice to what my heart always felt. I just didn't know how to express it. And so I think I bring that to my work. And um, when I came to the museum, there's no museum of our age, which were 100 years old, um, can say that they were not established by white wealthy elite. And so, um, and being a white male, um, I know I come from a place of privilege. And so I have focused for the last 10, year of, 10 years of how do we make the museum feel more inclusive, more welcoming, people feel a sense of belonging. Because I heard from a lot of people from different faith organizations or groups, uh, from different races, from different orientations, that they didn't feel like there was a place for them at the museum, that it felt very white, very European which we have a beautiful European collection and it's not gonna go away. It's a part of our world art collection. But then we started to step back and say, but if we're a civic museum, which means it's for everyone. And we, we have said for years, our founder said that um, the Dayton Art Institute is uh, Dayton's living room. I say now it's our family room because it's a little more casual. <laughs> um, 
But if we have that philosophy, that means that everybody's welcome. And so we started with some really basic things of instead of saying our customers, we refer to them as our guest because a customer is transactional. A guest is welcome in your home and you hope they come back again and again. Um, then we started talking about what's on the walls. Do people who are coming through see themselves? We see a lot of white people and that's great because there are a lot of white people in Dayton, but there's also a lot of African-American people in Dayton and do they see themselves? Um, so we're really focused on collecting uh, in BIPOC areas now, which we weren't before. So for example, we have acquisition funds or funds that we buy art with. Uh, we don't have a lot of them, but when they're unrestricted, we're using 75% of those to buy work by minorities, women, and um, other marginalized communities so that we can start to better represent minorities on the walls of the museum. And we also are taking a deeper dive look at how, what's the pathway to work in a museum? It's often been a pathway of privilege because people that have worked in museums have come from wealthy families that have had college degrees and they may not have had access to it. So we're trying to open the gates of access that goes from everywhere we're at. We advertise to making sure our internships are now paid. We call them fellowships now because some kids can't afford not to work in the summer, but they wanna work in the arts, but it, they have to be paid. Um, to making sure that our board is better balanced. Um, when I came to the museum 10 years ago, it was predominantly white board and predominantly male. Now it's 50% female. And um, we are not quite 50% uh, minority, but getting close. Um, and I think that's important because the museum should represent the community. Museums also um, look to be a place that's a safe place for dialogue, for difficult dialogue about race relations. Um, we had a community uh, gathering pre-COVID um, when the KKK was coming to Dayton. And we wanted to be the place where people gathered to say, what do we do about this? How do we say that Dayton is about love, not about the people that are coming? And we surround them with love. And it turned out that we worked so much at it as a community, they only had four members of the KKK show up. And the rest of the people standing around were saying, we're here in love. You, you can say whatever you want, but we're going to push the hate out. And I think those kind of dialogues happen in safe places like museums. And so we're working really hard at what we call our idea work, um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility, because um, social justice isn't always about race. It's not always about that. It can be about, can people have the same rights um, based on their abilities, um, uh, their mental abilities, their physical abilities? Are people given the same rights based on their um, sexual orientation. So in the LGBTQ community. Um, and so we're looking at all of that. And I was really proud of our board uh, that they made it a standing committee. So it's the same when we're talking about finance, when we're talking about our governance, uh, when we're talking about our investments, we're also talking about our idea work. And we're trying to make sure it's in everything that we do. So talking to our vendors and saying that, you know, we are going to be bidding uh, vendors that are from a minority community. We didn't used to do that. And I think the big thing I've learned is it must be intentional. The work must be intentional. 
uh, to really move the needle um, for us to becoming a more inclusive and welcoming museum and museums as a whole. Um, everyone should see themselves on the wall. Everybody should be at the table and everyone should fail, feel a sense of belonging uh, in our museum and in all museums. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You wanna be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riveralightchicago.org. Again, riveralightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. You know, Jesus said that anyone that gives, you know, gives up brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers uh, for my name will receive a hundredfold and persecution. So just curious, Michael, uh, what pushback did you get in, in starting to make some of these shifts in particular? You know, we've only had very few, put, very little pushback. Um, and, you know, we are nonpartisan uh, as a museum. But I would say that both sides of the aisle have supported our work. Um, we have had a couple folks that reached out and, and were concerned about um, what does this mean for my faith beliefs or my Christian beliefs. And uh, what I always say to them is, I'm a Christian, but I welcome all to the museum. And, and I believe there's different routes to um, our God. And um, that... Christianity is represented through art for centuries. It's represented on our walls. Christianity is not going to go in the way in the museum. It doesn't mean we all have to have the same belief because we are a civic museum. So um, we have friends that are, you know, Hindu and Jewish and Muslim. They're all welcome here and they're all God's children. Um, and so uh, very little pushback, mainly support, mainly saying, Glad the DAI is catching up um, with how we want to see the world and how we want our community to be. Yeah, and I guess I was mainly kind of thinking about like around the collections that like if you were starting to shift like the actual collection that specifically also within the DAI and, you know, maybe people were more set in their ways with that. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of that because we're still a world art museum. So there's always going to be a European section. There's always, we have a phenomenal Asian section. But what we don't have in American is a lot of African-American representatives. What we don't have in our ancient Americas or even current Americas is a lot of Hispanic art. So not taking away, but adding and saying there's room in the pie for more. So um, I think people are just getting more flavors. Uh, and not taking away flavors. It's not all vanilla. Um, there's many more things that we can introduce throughout the galleries that make people feel included and give some other people understanding of different people's perspectives. Um, so I don't, I, we're not taking anything away. I don't think we're adding. Gotcha. I love that analogy. So thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us, you know, the 31 flavors right. and saying it beyond vanilla. So that's good. Let's go. Uh, so what are what are the expectations of the next generation of leaders at the museum? And, and what are you doing in particular to support them, Michael? So um, 
One of the things that is uh, I've really noticed, and I noticed it through the pandemic, is uh, and, and my colleagues in other museums and other organizations and industries are feeling it too, is that it's not only been the pandemic a social reckoning, but it's also been a work-life balance reckoning. Um, I was not a big believer that people could work remotely. And look, here we are. We're, we're visiting remotely. We're recording remotely. We're in different cities. Um, and so trying to find work balance, I think that's really important to the next generation of leaders. Um, trying to be on top of uh, social justice and sh social issues that are important to them. And I think art has a way of allowing us to do that. You can talk about the environment. You can talk about race relationships. You can talk about things that are happening because art captures history, captures what's happening at the time. And so I think um, really being um, attuned to that. But I also think saying I'm willing to step back and learn from them. Um, I'm, you know, I don't see myself seasoning out for quite a while. I'm in my early 50s, so I got a lot left in me. But there's a lot of people behind me that have a lot to teach me and being open to that, um, being open to us um, embracing technology differently. Uh, we're in a balance because we have a traditionally our audience is older um, and that's with all museums. It hits, you know, you hit your prime at 50 through the end of life because you have more resources or if you have more time or whatever. Um, there's a lot of young people that are interested in art and, and the younger members of our team, the younger leaders are saying, we can help you get them here if you listen to us. So I think listening is really important. And the expectation, regardless of age or time for me, is that it's community driven. Um, I told you I'm a servant leader that we lead with a servant's heart. Uh, at this organization, um, and that we have the best interest of the museum. That doesn't mean we can't change the way we present art. Um, we're doing a lot more stuff online, which I never dreamed we would do, and that's how a lot of our younger people want things. Um, so I think it's important that young leaders, we just are getting ready to add, we've always had a leadership team and we meet regularly, weekly. We're changing it at the new year that one week it will be um, leadership team as a whole. The next week it will be um, our idea leadership team. Next week leadership back. And then the next week it will be leadership with the next level of leaders. We've never done that. And all coming at the table and listening to them and saying, you know, what is it you're hearing your direct reports want? We're not a huge organization. We're about a hundred people. I don't always know what all hundred people are wanting out of their work experience here. And so listening to those middle managers and bringing them to the table, um, I think is the expectation and that they're wanting to lead. Um, if people don't wanna lead, we'll find someone who does because I always say that I'm not the only face of this organization. I want leaders infiltrating the whole community. I want people knowing other people um, and maybe not always knowing me. Um, because I think that's what makes us such a, a rich and strong part of the community. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for sharing in that regard, Michael. I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, you know, the leader that's listening to this episode and maybe thinking like, hey, you know, maybe my organization is too focused on me and maybe I've been too closed off to the people around me. 
what could you say to that person about being able to empower the people around them and wanting to be open to, you know, kind of like innovation and new ideas from younger generations? And, and then I'm also curious as to why you were that way. <laughs> like, why was that, you know, about you personally that, that you feel like that was just naturally being able to, to go there where some older people, you know, they, they get to the place and they're like, all right, well now it's about hierarchy. I had to put in my time. Now it's very kind of like rigid in the way that we set up the chain of command. So I think part of that goes back to, I've always believed if you empower people to do their best work, they will. And if you allow them to lead, they will, um, but they'll also be better followers. So um, I think it's that I try and flatten out the hierarchy and I'm not a big believer in that. I've, I've worked in organizations like that where the trickle down doesn't get to the people that are on the front line, you know, the people that are cleaning the museum and selling the tickets and the security and the information doesn't get to them. Um, I try very hard for them to feel like they um, can make decisions that matter for our guests. And I always say, I don't want you to give away the farm or give away the museum, um, but I want you to feel in the moment you can handle the situation. You're empowered to do it. We've given you the information and the tools to be successful. For me, that comes from a place of um, my parents are very giving in the community. Uh, my dad sat on a lot of boards and instilled that in me that it's, um, it's better when you go out and, and try and leave something better than you found it. And I think you only do that through people. If I do it and I do it from an ivory tower, I don't know the people I'm working with. Um, I say that this is my second family. Uh, I spend more time here at the museum than I do with my son. Um, and I want that um, to be meaningful. What I say to people when I hire them is, my goal for you is that you retire from the Dayton Art Institute. Your goal for me is that I should make it that you want to retire from the Dayton Art Institute and that you don't want to move on. And that doesn't mean people don't move on. Uh, but what I say to them when they do is, I hope you had the kind of experience where you learned and you grew and now you fly. And when you look back, you say, I got all those opportunities at the museum. They let me step up and lead. They let me learn and now look at me go. And hopefully they're an advocate for us in the community and um, they're leading and making our community better. And so uh, for me, it just comes from a place. And I, I think it's that I always knew I wanted to lead from the time I was a child. And I say this and people laugh. I'm like, I can show it in you, my baby book. When I was in preschool, my mother wrote in my baby book, I think Michael will be a leader. He can also be a follower, but I know he will lead. Mm. And uh, my mom's gone now, so I almost got a little teary-eyed. Um, she was my biggest champion, but she told me, it goes back to what my dad said, humble leaders that keep a sense of humor have followers. And you do your best work when everyone is committed, when they're all smarter in their areas than you, and you let them excel. I'd say let go. Let go of holding on to everything. Let other people excel and you'll shine. Well, dang, that sounds like you had a pretty prophetic mother. <laughs> um, I did. Uh, yeah, so what, what, what do you 
did she ever tell you like why she said that or what where she was were perceived she said, that? Uh, i asked her that once and she said i just observe i'm the youngest of four boys um and she said i observed how you interacted with your brothers i would observe how you and interacted with playmates um and then i would you know what teachers told me about you in the classroom and she volunteered in schools our schools and i would see her and she just said i just knew there was something and i always had that drive that and sometimes i would say why why do i want to do that why can't i just be content where i am and what i'm doing but i always knew i wanted to be i wanted to get to a place where i could lead an organization and I knew I wanted to work in nonprofit as soon as I, I left grad, uh, graduated from my undergraduate. Um, and I think that came from my father's work. He's an architect, but he spent more of his career leading nonprofit boards and being on boards. And I think I saw what that meant to our community. Um, and so I, I don't, you know, is it nature? Is it nurture? I don't know. I think I had very giving parents. I think community is important. My dad is still alive and community is important to them and to me. Um, we live in a city, Dayton, unlike Chicago, is, is big enough that you really can make a difference. Um, you can, you're not just watching the parade, as my dad would say, you're marching in it. Uh, and so, uh, and not that you can't do that in Chicago, I'm sure you can, but we're a small Midwest, you know, town. Um, and um, that's, that's been rewarding for me. Michael, uh, we were looking at it the other day uh, of where our listener base is at, and we've got basically people all over the world that listen to the Virtuous Heroes podcast, which is so fun and exciting. Love that. So what says what what do you say to people that aren't from Dayton and that are thinking about uh, if they're visiting Dayton, why why should they come to the DAI, the Dayton Art Institute? And do you have anything new or fun or exciting that's forthcoming to talk about? Sure. Well, I would say the uh, the Dayton Inter uh, Dayton Art Institute is internationally recognized. The collection is by people who know our collection. It is a world collection. It spans five thousand years of world art. So everything from American to African, Asian, contemporary, you will find it here. Um, it is uh, has some treasures in it that people might not think would be here because we had wonderful donors. We've got a very rare Monet, one of his top, uh, considered of his water lilies in the top 10. Mm. Uh, in our pre-Columbian collection, we have a uh, Mayan mask that is the only one known to be in uh, its original condition um, with all its parts in the world right here in Dayton. Mm. And that's a really important piece to us. And we are... Um, we are known for our special exhibitions. And so there's always something that's happening. There's always a special or a focus exhibition where we're really digging deep into um, an artist or a theme uh, and those are ever changing. So I think there's always something for us to find uh, here at the museum. And we're just a really beautiful, serene place to visit. We're um, an Italian Renaissance style building with beautiful stairs and fountains and mm. a cloister and, um, mature trees and a sculpture garden. So it's, and it, we're right on um, I-75 coming as you're coming up um, across, you know, north uh, to south. Um, you can see us from the highway and we're a great place to stop and, and rest and uh, as you're on your travel journeys. So always important when you're in date to come visit the museum. Well, uh, for sure. And I would love to be able to get lunch or dinner the next time in town. So that's exciting. Absolutely. How can people get a hold of you and uh, the work that you're doing? 
So um, I'm on Facebook and they can find me, um, my name, Michael Rediger. Uh, and I think you're going to put that up. Um, my I, my um, email address is mrediger at daytonart.org. And um, our web, website is loaded with great information and it's daytonartinstitute.org. Um, so I, I always respond to my emails. And if uh, people don't have that. We have a general one that people can send it, and I'm the one who responds to those as well. So I'd love to hear from people and love people to come visit us. Well, thank you again for being on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, Michael. It was truly a blessing to be able to hear about some of the innovative work that you're doing at the Data and Art Institute. And, you know, our mission is to inspire virtuous leadership, and I definitely feel like this uh, is you know, exploding that today. So, so thank you again for being a part of the show and uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue with you as well. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you. For sure. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.